Good morning. This is Alicia Bales live in the studio with Sarah Wright. Hey, Sarah. Good morning. Good morning. It's great to hear you. Great to see you in person. Yeah. It's been so long. I know. I'm kind of in culture shock. I know. Really. It's great. Stay tuned now for Byline Mendocino. And good morning, Mendocino County. This is Alicia Bales with Byline Mendocino. Byline Mendocino is now our monthly local journalism roundtable. We come to you every once a month now on the fourth Friday of the month. Uh, on the second Friday of the month, Lana Cohen, RKZYX Report for America reporter who works with us and the Mendocino Voice, has agreed to come in and do a, a monthly show about the environmental beat locally that she's working on. But on on this fourth Friday, uh, it's it's me here with local reporters in conversation about the stories happening in Mendocino County. And I want to welcome my guests for this week's roundtable. We have Sarah Reif, as previously mentioned, from the KZYX News. And on the line with us on the phone is Frank Hartzell, who's currently a freelance reporter in Fort Bragg. He writes for the Mendocino Voice and Mendocino Real Estate Magazine. And he has a long history in investigative journalism and local reporting, many years at papers across California, including over a decade at the Fort Bragg Advocate News. Welcome, Frank. Thanks for joining us on Byline Mendocino. Thank you for having me. Uh, good morning. Good morning, and good morning, Sarah. Good morning. It is great to have both of you here. I love my job, getting to talk with the most informed people in our county about the news of the day. So I just want to start out by asking you both, what are the stories that you are following right now? You want, Sarah, you want to start with you? Well, um, I'm, I'm doing um, some event pieces. Tomorrow there's a Black Lives Matter rally in Ukiah, so I'll have a piece about that. I will be tuning in for the next attempt to overhaul the cannabis ordinance on Tuesday. Um, I won't be there in person since um, democracy in the time of COVID is a spectator sport, but I'll be there covering it. Um, and I will be working on an update about the um, Gerardo Magdaleno case. He is the mentally ill man who was beaten by Ukiah police earlier this month. All right, and you just had a sort of tremendous story just now that ran for the morning news about the clearing of the homeless camp in Ukiah where you featured the voice of people themselves who were getting cleared out. Yeah, that was about six to ten people who had gone there. Most of them were living in Tent City that was off of Hastings Avenue, and that was cleared in June after the city declared the area a runway safety zone because it was near the airport. Um, so several couples, a few single people, moved into this area just south of Emerald Sun, which used to be the brewery and is now a cannabis distribution and processing facility. There's also some vineyards near there, and um, they were right there next to the railroad tracks. And apparently there had been complaints about noise and vandalism and kind of the usual stuff. And um, the city and the county actually went in beforehand with the homeless outreach team and tried to let people know what was coming and hooked them up with some facilities and assistance. But a lot of these folks are the ones who typically fall through the cracks because they're not veterans, they're not single parents with kids, they're not senior citizens, their lives have unraveled in kind of complicated ways that are difficult to define. So you can't just neatly tuck them in someplace and be like, oh, look, you qualify for this funding. And when they take the test to determine their level of vulnerability, they get a seven, which isn't that high when there's, you know, a 74-year-old woman in a wheelchair living out of her car who gets a 17. 
so they're just kind of in the situation where they just have to um, either figure it out or wait until they they're they just degenerate to the point where they're in bad enough condition that that there's some funding available where they do qualify for some some services i would think that actually being homeless or not having a place to live would would qualify but i guess there just aren't enough resources well the the city itself does not get resources to to deal with the the larger issues so they're stuck being expected to deal with the the kind of superficial signs of the problem and um it just goes around and around and people get chased from one place to another and and um there's just apparently not the money in the exact right places for the folks who need it all right well that was a tremendous story and it ran at 7:45 and 8:45, and will run again tonight at six o'clock so if you want to hear sarah's report on the homeless encampment featuring voices of the people who are living in the encampment yeah a couple of them have gotten hotel rooms temporarily um and you know a few a few things have happened to help them out like one guy got a an appointment for some dental surgery but the the overall issues that are that are causing their lives to unravel are you know they're they're still kind of on hold all right and frank let's turn to you what stories are you following this week well, I'd like to comment on that story. I thought that was a story that every journalist would wish they would have done. Uh, I can't tell you uh, how many times I have heard homeless encampments cleared stories with just solely the police as the uh, as the source. Uh, the people that came in and had to clear it uh, were just the neighbors. Uh, this was the, the kind of diversity of uh, voices that we need in, in, in stories. The, uh, the, the Mendocino baby lady was to come out of that um, and to, to hear all the different uh, perspectives you know we went through, through the neighbor complaints and uh, the, the official process and we gave the whole story so that's what we need more of and we're all working on for me uh, let's see I was uh, just out uh, well this morning they were pouring the concrete for uh, garden friendly community uh, uh, new community garden at CV Star Center that was kind of interesting and uh, we're working on that story uh, working on some uh, about uh, real estate in the uh, in the pandemic, uh, the, talking to uh, people affected by it, uh, seeing if uh, gentrification might be happening uh, with the skyrocketing prices. Uh, it's, uh, not finding that. Also working on a story on marine energy, uh, something I've uh, freelanced and worked on for years that is becoming a big thing in the Biden administration. Uh, and um, with uh, Fort Bragg, uh, Mendocino Coast, and Humboldt Coast being two of the very best uh, places for both wind and wave energy. It's interesting to look at. Uh, working on a variety of, of different little things. Uh, last week we worked on the chain store uh, ordinance in Fort Bragg. And uh, um, this, yeah, just uh, whatever comes up. And you know, as a freelancer, we try to, to, to do stuff. I was out at a, uh, the Black Lives Matter rally in Fort Bragg on Wednesday. And uh, Frank, I'm curious, what did you find, what are you finding out in your research or your investigation of uh, real estate prices here? There is sort of a, a zeitgeist in the community that there's a maybe a cannabis rush 
and uh, people have been talking about letters that they're receiving. Landowners are receiving letters from sort of predatory real estate companies uh, tempting them with extremely high prices that they might be able to get for their land if they sell now. Um, have you found, what, what kinds of things are you finding with the real estate market? Well, I did mostly the coast. What you're talking about is uh, mostly happening over in the uh, in the valley, you know, Ukiah area. There's quite a bit of that kind of thing going on. I was just looking at what was the, uh, uh, you know, what kind of turnover was going on. What were the prices doing? Uh, you know, prices are going up everywhere. Uh, I focused more on the coast, as I said. But yes, there's a, there's a tremendous uh, another story to follow with uh, what's happening with the farmland and uh, the. Um, Speculative prices. I've heard that too, and looked into that a little bit. But the um, on the coast, so few people want to leave that, the, despite the rising prices, uh, you know, your house may have gone up a hundred thousand dollars or even more in in six months. But uh, people are still not selling. So there's a very, you know, it's a it's a tight market as well as a, a high market, and that uh, the the people that sell are often people that bought just a few years ago. So you can't really say that there's any kind of gentrification going on and not enough people are wanting to leave. That's kind of what I'm finding on the coast. Uh, a little bit of a different story, but uh, it's fascinating what's happening to uh, vineyard land, uh, rangeland also uh, uh, being looked at now. As, as some of these, as, uh, Sarah could uh, chime in on how that's affected by some of these the marijuana ordinance. But what's going to be plantable? Uh, it's going to be a great ongoing story. What's happening with real estate? Especially as one of the the biggest headlines of the week is the drought. Um, the Board of Supervisors declared a drought emergency this week, and we had a visit from our governor, Governor Newsom, who stood in the bottom, the dry bottom of Men- Lake Mendocino in the lake bed, and announced plans for um, emergency measures for Sonoma and Mendocino County. Sarah, you were there. What was it like? Well, it was really dry and really dusty of course just a few hundred feet to the left there there was water (laughs) you know but um (laughs) we weren't under 40 feet of water but i you know i was thinking that that lake if it were a person might have just started collecting social security so it has not been there since time immemorial and um just the kind of overall big picture was that our water use is not sustainable if we are continue going to continue to be a society that relies on huge amounts of water. What what did the governor say during his? He had, he had a little podium set up in the in the what was usually muddy but is now quite arid um, hard pan there at the, in the bottom of the lake bed. Well, he spoke about. Um, the billions of dollars that have been allocated for um, water projects, a lot of water storage infrastructure, um, stuff like that. What was more interesting to me was what um, Wade Crowfoot and Joaquin Esquivel had to say, which was that you know there's there's no water mandates right now, but the new order does give the administration the right to curtail water rights, which has a little bit of a mandatey vibe to me, but I'm not totally versed in all the nuances. And uh, Mary Callahan reported that about 780 water users in the Russian River have received notices that um, that they could have their water reduced or maybe even curtailed if the drought continues. So that was a huge takeaway for me. 
Yeah, well, and also we do know that Redwood Valley water was cut off, ag water was cut off this week. What do you know about that? Well, 200 ag water users have had their water cut off as of April 19th. So kind of out of luck if you're a farmer in Redwood Valley right now. It's getting very real. Um, and there were a couple of fires. Well, there's one fire in Laytonville right now, and then there's a fire between Ukiah and Boonville called the Turnout Fire uh, that is just mopping up now that were... I heard, I talked with Cal Fire and with the sheriff, and what they found out there were conditions like July and August and the dryness of the fuels and the complete combustion that, that, that they experienced from the trees and the brush that that went up. Uh, I'm, I don't want to scare people. The fire in Laytonville is called the Dose Fire, and it is not expected to spread. It is considered to be uh, not a, a serious threat. Uh, and as of this morning, when I asked the sheriff about it, so I don't want to. I don't want to upset or, or uh, scare people about that. But it is already very, very early to be seeing fires of these kinds. Yeah, and, and Assembly Member Jim Wood was there, you know, and the senator and the governor and most of our board of supervisors and the mayor, you know, basically the, the brain trust of California water was there. And um, Jim Wood mentioned that on his way to the event, he drove past a fire. So, um, you know, needing water to fight fires is, is going to be a huge issue. The media has a, um, an interesting way of, you know, that we work nowadays to cover these issues. There's such a monumental issues of fire and uh, of water, and yet we all kind of do our own story, and there's so uh, so little collaboration that goes on. I, I mean, I would love to see us all collaborate more, and of course, when it comes to a disaster, we have to rely on our radio. Uh, that's that's the, the, the first line of defense. Uh, I often can't get KZYX uh, except on my uh, um, computer, which isn't disaster-friendly. So, you know, I'm just thinking as we go through the summer, we got uh, some really good reporters out there and good reporting going on, but uh, this is a statewide issue. It was, I'm wondering how we can better share the way that... I, I love the sharing model and all the work that the Alana is doing. It's, uh, so many of, uh, of us, and, and uh, there's uh, quite a few good journalists at work, but we're doing the same stories, but she's giving us all this environmental news that we wouldn't be getting otherwise because uh, it doesn't feed Facebook metrics very well. But uh, So we are doing it, but uh, I would love to know what's going on, too, with the state water project over in Lake Oroville and uh, Shasta's federal water project and put it all together and see where this drought is going. Uh, I don't know how we do that nowadays. The, the, uh, the story sharing, uh, surprisingly, of the, of the really good stuff like you guys are doing uh, isn't as much as it was in the old days. I think uh, I that is first, a question for... I got my first job for... on a typewriter in 1983, so <laughs> I reveal my age. So. I think that's a question for Aaron Glantz, who's going to be coming up in the second half of the Excellent. show. Yeah, and his yeah. new position at the NPR California Newsroom is to go out and talk with local newsrooms and figure out what uh, what the statewide stories are. So, I, yes, let's put a pin in that one and wait and ask Aaron uh, some of the projects... Uh, and prospects for that kind of statewide collaboration. Uh, I do want to mention, this is Alicia Bales. You're listening to Byline Mendocino here on KZYX. This is our local media roundtable. And 
In the studio is Sarah Reith, KZYX News, and on the phone with us is Frank Hartzell, who's a freelance reporter in Fort Bragg, who posts stories for the Mendocino Voice and Mendocino Real Estate Magazine, where you can find his work. Um, another major headline story of this week, of course, is the Chauvin verdict in Minneapolis. Uh, Derek Chauvin, the ex-Minneapolis police officer who murdered George Floyd, was found guilty of murder, and uh, it we had a we had an open lines forum right after the verdict, uh, a live call in show for the community to respond and uh, express their feelings about it. And one of the things that came up in that call in show was a lot of examples of local use of force by police, uh, at least a handful of cases. And of course, most recently, we have the Magdaleno case. Um, Sarah, you've been following that. Um, but local use of force and police cases are something that uh, you're definitely looking into and reporting on. Yeah, well, the Gerardo Magdaleno case happened on April 1st. Um, he's bipolar and schizophrenic, and he took off all of his clothes, um, was behaving erratically, and the police showed up, and about half a dozen bystander videos show him being beaten and pepper sprayed and tased. Um, he is now being represented by Isaac Schweiger, who is a, a civil rights attorney in Sebastopol, who is really taken on a lot of use of force cases in Mendocino and Sonoma counties. Um, he is also representing Christopher Rascu in his case against Kevin Murray, who is a former Ukiah police officer who's since been fired and is um, is also being um, prosecuted by the district attorney. And he's got a procedural item coming up this week where the date of his preliminary hearing is going to be decided. And the, the preliminary hearing is sometimes called the hearing before the hearing, where the defense and the prosecution make their cases and the judge says, okay, this sounds like it should or should not go to trial. And the person could plea or enter a plea. So, I mean, it's still in the, the procedural instances right now. Um, we don't know that much about the officers who are involved in the Gerardo Magdaleno case. The only name we have is Saul Perez, who is the responding officer. And the police logs show that he was continuing to respond to calls in the days after that. And in fact, I saw him at the um, homeless camp. Um, closing on Tuesday morning. Um, I did not approach him and ask him questions. Um, he appeared to be heavily armed. That seemed like a bad idea. Um, so the city council of Ukiah did instruct the city attorney to hire an independent investigator. And that's that's all I've got on that right now. What about um, the issue of mental health services in Mendocino County? I mean, that seems to be an issue that is tied very, very closely with police use of force because so frequently they're encountering, like Gerardo Magdaleno, uh, individuals with extreme mental health challenges who are in crisis. And I, I know you've reported a lot on Measure B and on um, the m mobile response units that are in the works and um, just what what state is that stuff at? Well, I got a little update from Dr. Janine Miller yesterday. She's the head of the Behavioral Health and Recovery Services at the county. Um, she's also got a, a seat at the, on the Measure B committee. Um, the Board of Supervisors did approve the hiring of three crisis outreach workers who will accompany law enforcement on calls that involve someone who appears to be mentally ill. And that'll be the sheriff and the police. 
Uh, they've hired one person. She's being trained. She's got a few more weeks of training with Dr. Miller's department and with law enforcement. So she should be ready to go out with the sheriff's office, um, you know, in the next few weeks. Uh, the recruitment for two more crisis workers has closed. And as soon as uh, HR lets Dr. Miller's department know who the qualified candidates are, they could be interviewing them next week. And then they could start, um, one would be with the Ukiah Police Department, and there would be another one with the sheriff. And that's a, a pilot program that's kind of kind of grinding into gear right now. Is this to be paid for with Measure B money? Yeah, they had a previous program that was grant-funded, but the grant expired. And Frank, Frank Hartzell, would you like to weigh in on this, this issue, the local use of force by police um, or the mental health services? How do things look on the coast? Uh, well, uh, I once worked as a driving the locked car with 5150s. Uh, we took patients over the hill, uh, would get assigned to the emergency room. And it's a very, uh, it's fascinating that these, uh, they're, they're going to have this uh, out. I was, uh, I had not heard that until Sarah uh, explained how that's going to work. And I think that'll be great. Uh, I'm not sure if that's going to be different on the coast or if we're going to have uh, what's going to be happening with the uh, sh- uh, sheriff's office and the deployment of mental health. Uh, we'd like to hear a little bit more about that. I'm not uh, up on it, but uh, uh, having dealt with difficult ma- uh, mental health patients, uh, sometimes the police were very good at what they did most of the time uh, at coming out and, and, and settling the folks down. But uh, it's tremendous that they will have the assistance of counselors because not everybody is that way. Uh, I was wondering if Sarah is going to do. Are you going to cover the court hearing? Is that can you do that by Zoom now, or or how would you? Uh, the uh, preliminary hearing is the uh, little mini trial. Always one of my favorites when I used to cover the courts for years. Uh, are you going to actually cover that, or is, this, is anybody going to be to that? It's uh, with COVID. It's so difficult. Yeah, we're going to have to strategize that. Um, I haven't done a lot of court reporting. Um, partly because it's so time-consuming, you know, they'll they'll have people yeah. waiting around for hours and hours on the nine o'clock calendar, and it's just you know sort of some time in the morning, maybe unless somebody enters or something right. or continues some other thing, and um, so you you can end up spending a lot of time in the courtroom. Uh, you you are not allowed to record in the courtroom. You're not even really supposed to have your cell phone in there. Um, so I think it'll take a little bit of research before. I go in there and I'll, I'll have to reach out to folks in the court and see if I can go in there, see if um, see if there's access to, to transcripts to supplement my own notes. So so that'll be a, a big project that, that I'm going to have to figure out. Um, I think they, they can give you special permission to record, but that's, again, another entire process you have to go through. Uh, and and the delays, it, you know, with as much work as you're doing in so many different areas, it, the whole thing, you might spend the whole day in there, as you said, and get delayed. That's the difficulty of court coverage for sure. But I'm glad you're on it and following up on it. That's, uh, that would like to see what, what comes out of the courts in that. Uh, there's a, a, a brand new, well, brand new is in a couple of months, the Mendocino courts have a portal system where you can now look up and read the files. Uh, that's just been the last couple of months, and, and that has been tremendously useful to me, although I'm having technical problems with it at the moment. Yeah, they had a, a 
magic few moments there where you could get in and all the files were available for free. And I think I must have downloaded a few hundred dollars worth of documents. And then the next time I went in, it was um, 50 cents a page. You have to pay for it now. Um, you can see the first page, which is, you know, a date and a couple of paragraphs um, as a, a teaser to see if you want to spend 20 bucks on some long lawyerly document. But, um, but yeah, the, the new portal does make it a lot easier to find things. It makes it a lot easier to find. It's unfortunate they're charging now uh, because, you know, if you pulled the court file at the counter, you could look at it for free and then decide if you want copies. And so it's really not set up for journalists because we can't pay for all, you know, every file we want to look at. We want to look through a dozen of them and then go ahead and pay. And that's maybe that's something that can change over time. Yeah, yeah, it, it sort of made sense back when they were printing them out, and you know, they had to maintain their ink and their cartridge and their machinery and stuff, but yeah, 50 cents a page is a little bit steep. Well, it just seems like so many issues now are so polarized. Chain stores, vaccines, masks, forest practice. And I think the way that you did the homeless story, if we did more of that, the, some of these issues could be more polarized. But Facebook agitates against us. They they want the sensational angle. They want the mugshot and the press release and the you know, on crime. Uh, the, the, those we have to work with the social media metrics uh, out there. Those of us that uh, are, are working on online publications. But uh, uh, I think if we get all the voices in the story, then we're really doing our job. Uh, but uh, you know, the forest practices uh, have been extremely controversial. Uh, people just immediately react and say, "We got to cut all the trees," or somebody says, "We got to save them all." You know, and uh, I went out there to that uh, where the uh, tree sitters are, and it, it's disturbing how much underbrush there is, and how are we going to deal with that? Uh, the, the, it's not something that the, the, the loggers want, but uh, we have to tell that whole story, and we have with the environmental coverage that you guys have been doing. You've been telling that story, so that's great. All right, so my guests are Frank Hartzell. He is a freelance reporter in Fort Bragg with many, many years of investigative journalism. He now reports for the Mendocino Voice and Mendocino Real Estate Magazine, where you can find his work, and Sarah Wright of KZYX News. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to be joined by Aaron Glantz, who is the Senior Investigations Editor at NPR's California Newsroom. He's going to be joining our conversation here about local journalism and the significance, the statewide significance of Mendocino County news. So stay tuned. I just got good news. I just got good news. The press it's hitting the streets with my delivery. This is Byline Mendocino. I'm Alicia Bales, live in the studio with Sarah Reith. On the phone is Frank Hartzell, and on the Zoom with us is Aaron Glantz, Senior Investigations Editor at NPR's California Newsroom. Good morning, Aaron. Good to be with you. Ah, you sound great. It's wonderful to see you, wonderful to hear you. Um, I just want to give you a little bit more of an introduction. Aaron Glantz is the Senior Investigations Editor at NPR's California Newsroom, 
but this is a recent position. Before that, you were the producer and investigative uh, producer and investigative journalist at Reveal, which we carry here on KZYX, uh, with impactful reporting on housing, veterans affairs, and many other issues and prestigious awards that you have been receiving, racking up over the last several years. And I also saw you testifying in Congress a couple years ago about the housing and in- housing inequities and racist housing practices in the U.S. But I originally I originally met you when you were working at KPFA as the producer of Free Speech Radio News all those many, many years ago. (laughs) So welcome to KZYX and Byline Mendocino. It's great to have you here. uh, It's great to be with you as well, Alicia. So let's, uh, we've been talking, we've been having a local reporter roundtable with Frank Hartzell and Sarah Reith, who are local journalists here. uh, And... Your new job involves talking to stations like KZYX all around the state. Um, Would you kind of join this roundtable and talk about the work that you're doing now and why what happens in places like Mendocino County has statewide significance? Well, I mean, the way I look at it, being from San Francisco, uh, growing up in San Francisco and being a national journalist is that, uh, you know, we are the biggest, most populous state in the country with the largest wealth gap and the biggest problems. Uh, We are constantly on fire now because of climate change. Our very way of life is threatened. And yet the East Coast media only shows up to make fun of us. So what we need is really robust collaboration amongst all of our newsrooms so that we, with whatever resources we've got, can investigate the causes of the problems we face and hold the powerful accountable for solving those problems. And so uh, that's what I'm trying to do as this uh, investigations editor for the California Newsroom, bring KZYX together with other big, other small stations in Sonoma, in Chico, um, in uh, in Riverside, uh, you know, places where a lot of people live, but there's not a lot of investment by big media companies, and then combine that with some of the larger NPR stations in California, like KQED, like KPBS uh, in San Diego, and the two Los Angeles stations, so that we can together pursue things that are harder to pursue on our own. Frank Hartzell, you're on the line. You were talking about wishing there was something like this in the first segment of the show uh do you have do you have any comment for aaron about this idea it sounds tremendous i i I love the collaboration because we missed so much of the perspective we we got the perspective of what's going on maybe here with our reservoir Uh, i'm interested too in the state water project you might get from the chico station or What's happening with the you know Shasta Dam and all the farmers down there, and is water being exported, and is there a statewide strategy? Um, there was a California Water Project during the drought of the '90s that I covered that uh, came around and and tried to transfer water from one area to another, and a lot of it was very very sneaky. Uh, that uh, you know, most famously, the Chinatown movie uh, story of water. Uh, being transferred down to the Owens Valley. But that stuff really happens. And what's going to happen with water? And who's looking out for that this whole bigger perspective of, uh, you know, our developers uh, able to purchase it? What's the Metropolitan Water District doing? Do we care here? Uh, uh, and uh, all of that stuff, I, I would love to be able to follow it and know where to go to see that. And uh, I think we as journalists that are working at 
variety of sources, not just radio, uh, need to be more collaborative and less competitive and come up with stories. And if I come up with something, I find that, that I have a way to network with people. That's, uh, um, that's, what, that's what I'm wondering. Yeah, I mean, right now, I think what we're trying to do is find a way to work together. We have not very much time, actually. Um, this is what Alicia and I were just talking about yesterday. We have not that much time to prepare for this wildfire season. Uh, we have some really important public safety journalism to do. Um, we also have some really important accountability to journalism to do about the State Department of Forestry, about the federal government, about our law largest electric utility, PG&E, um, and we just can't do it alone. And also, I would add that there is a really great uh, ability for us to learn from each other. Um, I bring a lot of investigative reporting tools. I've been through a lot of rodeos with a lot of powerful people and have a lot of impact. I know less about forest underbrush than you all do up in Mendocino. And and so whenever you take on uh, a really important investigation, you know, sometimes national journalists will swoop in and they really won't know what they're talking about. And it's important that they listen to and engage with the people who are on the ground, who live this reality every day and who are experts in it because it is their day to day and uh, their knowledge of force underbrush has everything to do with their Ability to continue to survive in their community. So um, I'm, I'm really excited to figure out how we can all work together. I really like when you said the East Coast media shows up to make fun of us, which it's so unfortunate that that's what happens, especially in the forestry management, which is the a key component of the fires, that they don't understand that big trees don't cause fires and that there's a huge amount of underbrush that no one really wants. The, 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 the East Coast media makes it seem like, oh, they're just environmentalists are blocking timber harvests. Well, for the stuff that needs to be cleared out, nobody wants it, and that message needs to be out there. So, Oh, Frank, I would say that the little animals that make their habitat in the underbrush want it. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, the, the, the point I was making was the perception is that that stuff is, uh, the logging is being blocked, and that's the reason there's fires, and that's wrong. Um, yeah, right. uh, yes, uh, uh, there's a, a whole nuanced uh, group of issues uh, resulting from, you know, if you go in and do clear the underbrush, that's not necessarily a great idea. Uh, but uh, there isn't any financial or economic forces that want to do that. And that message is missed. I noticed that, um, of course, we, President Biden is convening his, his global climate conversation, Zoom summit, I guess, uh, yesterday and today. And one of the things that I really noticed is that in every sentence about climate, his folks are talking about jobs. It's like they're trying to preempt that whole dichotomy of saying the environment versus jobs. They're just putting it right in the same phrase. The climate is about jobs, you know, and I thought, wow, that's they've really learned since the 90s about that, uh, that the wedge that gets put in to say why we can't have environmental justice or environmental progress because it will cause jobs and economic impacts and and they're absolutely turning that on its head so i think i thought that was interesting well that's really true I, I feel you're, like... you're very perceptive and biden has been a very uh, shrewd what he actually does we'll have to see uh, that's what, uh, if i could just say one other thing I, i'm also working on marine energy 
uh, and Biden has made marine energy a, a key to his climate programs, and uh, that's mostly in the form of wind energy, and we right here uh, have a tremendous wind energy resource, and throughout the state of California, there's a Humboldt and uh, down the San Luis Obispo area, we've been talking to people that uh, about this resource and how uh, wind energy and wave energy and uh, even desalinization can all come together with, with some of this stuff, and there are certain and big environmental questions with that too. Uh, you know what? Uh, every bit of energy has an environmental cost. Yeah, I was just going to come in and say, Frank and Alicia, that the there are real important issues about covering climate change, and climate change is changing our way of life here in California. And it is important that journalists focus on issues like fracking and auto emissions and other energy policy issues that affect our long-term prognosis as a species. It is also important for us to know that we do not need to live in a fire Build hellhole for months out of the year, even with climate change. That that there are things that our government officials and our large corporations need to be doing, so that we are not worried every year if we are going to die in a fire or be able to continue to breathe. There are things that they can do, and and we as journalists need to be asking. Are they doing those things? And we need to be building lines of accountability. Is PG&E doing what it needs to do to not start another fire in our community? Are our government officials keeping up their emergency notification system so that we know when there is a fire? Are CAL FIRE... What are they doing when the fire is not burning to prevent the next forest fire? You know, like there are lots and lots of things that our public officials can do. And one of the outcomes of the Trump administration, I think, is because that guy was so extreme. He just specialized in putting people into their corner and getting in fights over issues like forest fires, rather than actually talking about the real issues that are right in front of us, and we'll determine if our house is still standing a year from now. Aaron, you, we were talking yesterday about uh, a project that you are working on that has uh, significance, especially for the community of Willits. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. Um, this is something that, Alicia, I hope that we'll be able to come to you uh, to talk about more uh, soon because the story is still in progress. But one of the things that we've done at the uh, the newsroom, California newsroom, is try to put PG&E's riskiest wildfire cables on riskiest power lines on top of CAL FIRE's fire risk map. And the good news for you up Mendocino is that None of the 20 riskiest PGA circuits are in Mendocino. Phew. So thank God. Um, Interesting. I wouldn't be saying that if I was talking on the Santa Rosa station. Santa Rosa is surrounded by the riskiest power lines in the state. They go into Napa. A lot of the Sierra foothills is covered with really, really poorly maintained power lines. Uh, but we overlaid that with the Cal Fire map of the 
places with the most extreme fire risk this fire season. And one of the things that we found is that the city of Willits is basically surrounded by red on this map of the most extreme fire risk in the state. Yeah, it looks like up out Sherwood Road all the way down to Highway 20 and then a little bit on the east side as well. It is there's like a a red sort of swath around the city of Willits. And I wonder what, what you're talking about with we don't have very much time and there are certain lines of communication and accountability uh, time before the next fire season. And there are things that should be and need to be done to keep this community safe. Um, you're talking about maybe ground truthing the power lines up in Willits and maybe working with uh, people who know what hardened power lines look like and, and whether or not there's some expertise in the community to go out and, and start to get in front of this this red flag, this alert that we have that, that Willits is looking pretty vulnerable this fire season. Yeah, three sides of Willits. Um like, if you were to drive on Highway 101 South, you'd be in the red. If you look southwest of Willits, you're in extreme fire risk. If you look southeast of Willits, you're in extreme fire risk. And if, as you said, if you look to the northwest, you're also in extreme fire risk. So, um, And as we know, if the fire starts in one of these places, it quickly can move across large amounts of land. Um, and, and especially this year, with everything being so dry. Um, and as I understand it, I'm just, I know less about wildfires than all of you on this call. Um, but as I understand it, a lot of this area recently burned as well. And so um, one of the things that I think that we're increasingly concerned about is that those areas have a lot of grasses that are extremely dry and so then if they get catch fire and the wind comes up it can just go everywhere um and so um when we talk about these power lines um you know many of our recent fires were started by power lines that sparked and so that's why they're having all of these utility shutoffs that cut off our power so Um, We have some initial concerns this year about preventing a fire. And then I also want, and and Alicia, you and I were talking recently with Lily Jamali, who's the co-host of the California Report, who has an MBA and is a real expert on corporate bankruptcy. And um, she was talking to us about the way that hedge funds and greed lawyers and and others have really profited off of PG&E's problems. And what this has done is it's put us in this really unacceptable place of choosing between having no electricity and having a wildfire. And so what we want to do in the next year is produce some journalism that spotlights some of the people who are crippling PG&E with their greed and, um, maybe try to point a way to a world where our houses are not on fire and we also have electricity. How about that? Sounds very civilized, Aaron. Um, Sarah, you've been covering the discussions locally about what to do with the PG&E settlement money. So that's part of this conversation as well. 
Yeah, the Board of Supervisors just got a few presentations from various entities that want some of the $22 million settlement funds that um, Mendocino County got. They haven't made any decisions. Um, we've heard from the Mendocino County Fire Safe Council, and, and one of the things that Scott Craddy, the head of that, said, you know, even if we could clear out all the flammable parts of the forest, we wouldn't want to because we would trash the forest if we did that. But he wants some of the money to do home hardening, especially to help people who are elderly or disabled or low income um, harden their homes. Um, we heard a meeting from the folks in Redwood Valley who suffered the most loss of human life during the fires in 2017. And they want a lot of different stuff. They want some... Um, more money for their fire department. They need a, a few more fire engines. Of course, the huge thing that we're facing here in Mendocino County, which is what a lot of rural America faces, is that almost all of our firefighters are volunteers, and they're not getting any younger. Um, so the volunteer fire departments of Redwood Valley and Potter Valley want um, more equipment. Redwood Valley needs two more engines. They're half a million dollars each. They need more equipment for a siren. They had to raise $64,000 for a siren to alert people in four different sectors. But if they had more money, they could buy more sirens for their fancy siren. They want fire hydrants. They want water. Um, they don't have a lot fire of water. Fire infrastructure. Right. And anytime yeah. I hear someone from the county talk about how old our communications infrastructure is countywide, I mean, they always say we go on eBay to find the parts to replace it because it's so antiquated. I mean, I, I imagine them with floppy disks, you know, sticking them into the old DOS computers from <coughs> 1979. And I don't think I'm that far off from, from uh, hearing them talk about it. But Aaron, how common is that story around the PG&E settlement money around the state? Are different communities in the state experiencing the same kinds of conversations? This is where we are just starting to kind of ramp up. I think that um, I, I'm, I'm learning listening to Sarah. You know, like we so little, so rarely do we talk with each other about what is going on. And we don't have a great infrastructure amongst each other to share this information. So I'm, as you mentioned at the top, I'm like brand new to this job. And so I'm trying to even just get a handle on first, what did PG&E promise to different groups of people? Um, I know that uh, Lily Jamali uh, of KQED, who is leading the money part of this, the trust that manages the settlement money is going to be releasing its finances at the end of this month. And we're going to be taking a very close look at that um, and, and, uh, and, and see like, well, who has gotten money and how much and how much skimming has there been uh, by different people who, who like, there's a lot of people who've been wronged. There's a lot of community need, which is what Sarah was talking about. Um, we also need, PG need to still have money to provide us electricity. Um, and then, uh, but how much of that is being diverted to people who don't contribute to any of this? So that's that's the, what we're trying. That's our first question. How about the inmate uh, portion of it? We're losing one of the two inmate camps we have here, and the inmates are so crucial to fighting fires, and there's questions of you know, the uh, ethics of their use and, and how much they're used and what they do and uh, are you looking into that one too? Um, you know, we were uh, we we there are people looking into the the um, 
basically some of the controversy around the inmates and like what happens to them when they get hurt and you know is it anything like what happens to anyone else who's fighting alongside them fighting a firefighter um i mean i'm interested in um whether or not the state of california has done a good job at all preparing for this fire season i'm interested in hearing your thoughts a general sense that i have and i don't know if it's true is that like so much we've been somewhat diverted by the coronavirus pandemic and that we may not have done a lot of the work that we would have done otherwise is that an accurate assessment or inaccurate assessment would you say i think it's pretty accurate i think before you came on i was talking about how Democracy in the time of COVID is sort of a spectator sport because we've just been watching the meetings of our elected officials and questions that previously you could ask by just, you know, physically walking up to someone and saying, hey, could you clarify this thing or did you mean that or, you know, something that would be a simple little two minute exchange ends up being a kind of you know, ring around the rosy text chain and so-and-so doesn't know this and so-and-so has different numbers and um, it, it makes obfuscation a lot easier, which, you know, makes it easier to get discouraged and, and not do your job. So it's, it's yeah, and also I wonder, I read, you know, the governor recently announced that he's putting $500 million towards fire prevention, um, which is great. It then in some of those same stories, it mentioned that money was cut from the budget last year because they were worried about a shortfall um, due to the pandemic, uh, which ended up not happening because rich people in California are doing just fine. Thank you. And are still paying taxes because we have a progressive tax structure. And so I wondered, um, I wondered why would you cut the fire suppression budget if like you had anything to cut this year? Like, like we need control burn. Like I'm not an expert, so I don't know like how much control burns we need and like other strategies, but we need it, whatever it is. Right. Clearly there's a need. Yes. Do it. It needs to happen. Um, All right. Well, let's, just take a moment to orient ourselves here. This is Byline Mendocino. I'm Alicia Bales, live in the studio with Sarah Reith. On the phone with us is Frank Hartzell. He's a freelance reporter in Fort Bragg who writes for the Mendocino Voice and the Mendocino Real Estate Magazine. And on the, the Zoom with us is Aaron Glantz, who is investigation now, who is investigations editor at NPR's California Newsroom, but who comes to us from Reveal, where he was a producer and investigative reporter, uh, and many, many, many other very impactful projects, stories, and, uh, and issues that you have reported on. Um, I'm going to take a moment now in our last five minutes to uh, remind everybody that we are in our spring on-air fundraising drive. This is called our flash drive. We're in day two of what we're hoping is a short, sweet, and painless fundraising effort here at KZYX to raise our budget for the next six months. Our goal for Byline Mendocino is $500, and we are at $100 of that $500 goal. So I feel like in the last five minutes here, with all of the collected experience of a ra- of public radio uh, that we have collected here on the air, that we can encourage our listeners to go online to kzyx.org and make your donation online. 
Yeah, and I do want to remind our listeners that we have been doing some of this wonderful collaboration work that we've been talking about. Um, of course, we we're talking here with Frank Hartzell, who's a freelancer, and we've also got a Report for America partnership with the Mendocino Voice to bring in Lana Cohen, who's been bringing us some really extraordinary environmental coverage um, in this time of climate change and mega drought. And um, with more support, we can do even more of that. Thank you. I mean... I know we've been talking about the wildfires. I know how much you will be depending on KZYX when these wildfires do start. Hopefully they won't be bad, but we have a very, very concerning situation ahead of us. And some of our newer technologies may not work as well as we would hope, but the radio will be on and you will be tuned. And the people on the phone here, on the line here with you will be telling you how to stay safe and protect your house and protect your family in real time. And that has value. So if you have like a hundred bucks or 200 bucks or 500 bucks to put forward, uh, to protect yourself, think of it as an investment in your own personal safety and the health and safety of your family. Please make a contribution. KZYX.org. We do come on during fire season with regular updates. Usually it's on the hour, or if it's not on the hour, it's within a couple hours. We stay in contact with local fire authorities, with law enforcement, with the, we have up to the minute evacuation information. We put a lot of time and effort into that, making sure that you have good accurate information that you can depend on that you know where those evacuations are what the status is uh, in your region and fire season is different every year so we sort of prepare for that in anticipation uh, of knowing that we need to have that information for you but it's never the same one year to the next because the fires are in different communities one year to the next so we're already getting ready we're already talking with kind of uh, collaborators throughout the community we're talking with folks who are at the very forefront of uh, keeping up on the emergency information here to help us with that effort to make it even better even more timely and even more informative for you so if that's something that you depend on kzyx.org we depend on you to keep that going i mean i would just think about it as uh as an investment in preparing for the wildfire season at this point like you need to protect yourself and your family that starts with accurate timely information about what the hell is going on from a source that you can trust and will not go down even if the PG&E lines go down. If you have a, a wind-up radio or a solar radio, or if you have batteries in your radio, you will be able to turn on that radio. You'll be able to listen in your car if you have to evacuate. This is, it's really never been more important to have a strong radio station than it is right now. I, I just cannot tell you how critical it is. All right, Aaron Glantz, Investigations Editor at NPR's California News. I also want to thank Sarah Reith of the KZYX News. Couldn't be more proud of the work that you do for KZYX and KZYX listeners. Uh, it's really it's really an honor to bring your reporting to our listeners. And Frank Hartzell, a, a investigative journalist, freelancer, reporting for the Mendocino Voice, Mendocino Real Estate Magazine. Thank you so much for being here, too. Really, really value your perspective and your in-depth reporting. And I hope we get to talk with you again. Thank you. All right, this has been Byline Mendocino. I'm Alicia Bales. I'll be back in four weeks with another local media roundtable. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for all your support, and take care.
This has been a production of KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willitson Dukaya 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening.